Passage of this bill, I believe, is an investment in Alaska's future. In my opinion, this is the worst bill I've ever seen as a member of the legislature. Those vetoes, I think, are harmful to public education. I've learned one very strong thing is you don't always know people's motives. They appear to have a head-in-the-sand approach to budgeting. I'm disappointed. I'll be sending a letter today. We're in the governing business. We're not in the kicking-the-can business. Well, it's been a long week. You're listening to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Yale Tobin. My name's Mike Mason. Senator Tobin, it has been a week of effort and perhaps frustration as you and others are working on education issues, specifically the education funding issue. The big thing is Senate Bill 140, which is going to be debated for likely the next few days in the Alaska House of Representatives. What are your big picture thoughts before we kind of talk about some of the specifics of that bill? We have a real opportunity at our fingertips. We haven't seen a sizable increase to the base student allocation make it this far in the process in recent history. We are at a precipice with our public schools. We heard in public testimony in Senate Education Monday We have heard from our stakeholders during the interim. We have received hundreds of emails, phone calls, desperate pleas for help from our teachers, from our parents, from our students. And we are so close to getting the largest base student allocation increase across the finish line that this state has ever seen. And yet somehow it feels farther today than it felt yesterday. And I think that is because we are now in the heat of the political turmoil where politics and all of that dirtiness is now wrapped up around this piece of legislation. And there's so much unknown. The politics is the most frustrating thing, I think, in my opinion. I agree. You know, I'm going to reflect on something. A friend of mine who happens to be a commissioner of a department in the Alaska government shared with me a while back. I was talking to this person and I called myself a politician. And they stopped me and said, you're not a politician, you're a policymaker. And that has been settling with me. This concept that I want to get good public policy across the finish line. I want to work with my colleagues across the aisle in the other body. And I know that it takes all of us to lift something up, to stand it up, to get it going in the right direction and to approve upon it as it continues down its pathway of making lives better for Alaskans. And the last few days hasn't felt like policymaking It has felt like politicking. There are all sorts of conversations and dialogues happening that aren't about what can we ensure will help students in the long run. What are the policy decisions that need to be made that improve lives for Alaskans? Instead, it's 
what can I get out of this? Or what win can I have? Or what can I do to kind of tweak the other side? Because there is frustration and there is discord. And that has come to a head. You and others are working to get to yes. And it appears there's a lot of people out there that are working to get to no. But there is hope. There is hope. There's a piece of legislation that has a large BSA increase uh, that had a, a, a very good BSA increase in it that was was uh, brought down, but that could be brought back up. Uh, there are other good portions of the piece of legislation. So let's talk about the, the, the bill. Senate Bill 140, which is going to be on the House floor, likely for several days. There's an unknown number of amendments, some of which are probably pretty good many of which are probably pretty bad, I would think. But that bill is going to be kind of what people are going to be looking at. Uh, let's talk about that that bill. What are some of the good things that are in there? Today, SB 140 does include the largest base student allocation increase the state has ever seen. Now, unfortunately, the number that was added in House finance was reduced in House rules to $300. And today we received information from the Anchorage School District that said at a $300 base student allocation increase, we're still going to have to cut teaching positions. We're still going to consider closing schools. We're still going to reduce extracurricular activities. Our schools need the largest increase our state can afford and the number that was discussed in previous iteratives of this bill was $680, still woefully inadequate, but much larger than $300. But that $300 is still in there. The legislation that will soon be considered on the House floor also includes legislation to strike a sunset date from education tax credits. Many of our public institutions of higher education use education tax credits from their corporate sponsors to prop up new programs or continue very popular programs such as engineering. The legislation also has language to increase residential school stipends. Everyone is feeling the pinch of inflation, especially our residential programs that are having to deal with 20% spikes in their food costs and their energy costs going up. The one piece that I think is really exciting is the bill contains provisions to increase the amount of money we provide to our schools for student transport. We've got to get the butts in chairs. We heard this last week in Senate Education that chronic absenteeism is deeply affecting over 86% of our public schools here in the state of Alaska. And we know one of the most effective ways to deal with that issue is consistent, stable transportation to and from the school facility. Uh, the legislation also includes uh, a uh, what uh, a lot of people are referring to as like a data dashboard. There's a lot of information that exists out there, but it's hard to find. It's spread out over multiple websites, multiple agencies. The goal is uh, to uh, basically create a one-stop shop for information about student performance, about funding, all sorts of things. Uh, the provision that I'm very proud of that I spent a lot of time working on would 
have the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development work with the Alaska Department of Labor to track student performance post-graduation. We have graduation rates, we have uh, standardized test scores, we've got a lot of that kind of information, but once a student leaves school, we don't really know. Anecdotally, there are some tremendous success stories. Uh, I think you uh, uh, mentioned uh, 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 someone that you know that is going to be singing in Carnegie Hall, that kind of thing. That's amazing. So that provision is, I'm glad that that is still in there. Let's talk about some of the concerning provisions that are, are, are in this bill. You mentioned the lower BSA. Hopefully that will get uh, rectified. Uh, we would kind of ask people to contact your lawmaker and ask for the largest BSA that, uh, that we can afford. There are some other provisions in there, one of which that has got a lot of talk is to essentially create a new system to authorize charter schools through the State Board of Education. In theory, that sounds perhaps okay, but when you talk to the stakeholders, they are tremendously concerned that that is going to have a negative impact on our, our very successful current charter school model that is based within existing school districts. Are you? Do you share that concern? I do share that concern. I love many aspects of our constitution, and one such aspect is the provisions that say to maximize local control. Communities know what they need. I think about the schooling cake. I don't know what their schools need. I don't know what their teachers are dealing with, the struggles, the challenges, the successes they're experiencing. I don't know if their lights are flickering because there's inconsistent energy coming in from a fossil fuel source. I don't know if their heating systems are operating at peak efficiency, but I do know who knows what's going on, and that's their local school board. Having those locally elected individuals who are deeply connected, not only with the community, but also with the needs of the school, means we get better results. We get better oversight. We get better engagement from parents and teachers and educators. And the provisions that are now included in Senate Bill 140 removes that local control. It takes away the aspect that I think has created such a successful charter school system in this state to date. I often share with folks that while my father was on the school board in my community of birth, he helped start a charter school that is attached and resides in that local public school facility at the high school. He helped local community members fundraise and get the charter set up and get the parents involved and hire the principal and did all the work that we know is necessary and needed when it comes to a locally informed, community-driven school being propped up. I am concerned if we take away that requirement and we take away that relationship that we will end up having charter schools that potentially have the possibility of destabilizing the public school that exists in that space. We've seen some unintended consequences of charter schools being approved by local school boards and then having a del deleterious effect on the funding stream to the public school in those communities. We've had to make some changes to our school size to accommodate that. And I have shared those concerns with our colleagues in the House and pointed out that you can change one provision 
but you need to be thinking about the 13 other provisions that are affected by this particular model. Senator Tobin, thanks for giving us this update. We'll be back with more of the Empty Office podcast in just one moment. Welcome to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. I'm Mike Mason. Today's episode features retired classroom teacher and principal Marilyn Rosine from Dillingham. Marilyn Rosine was Alaska's teacher of the year in the year 2000. And I know Marilyn from my five years in Dillingham working for KDLG Public Radio. Marilyn, thank you and welcome to the Empty Office podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's great to work with you again. So uh, we are day five of the 2024 legislative session, and you've been in the building all five days. So uh, first of all, why are you in the building? You're here as part of the, the UAF rural development class that former lawmaker Mike Davis uh, brings, to the, to, brings to the legislature every year, right? Correct. Correct. Mike has um, had this class for, I believe, about 30 years to, to bring people basically from the Bristol Bay area to Juneau, specifically the first week of the session. And the idea is it's called legislative process class. So we learn about bills and how they flow through the system. And we've had many, many opportunities to talk with senators and representatives and other dignitaries in, the, in, in Juneau that make every, everything work. Including Senator Tobin. We spent uh, Absolutely. an afternoon. Absolutely. That was one of our first. It was wonderful. So we are recording today's episode on day five, of course. Correct. What are your impressions of this building after five days, talking to people and moving through the halls and listening to how things work? I've been in the building before, but never for as many days as this has been, which has been wonderful. We arrived on Sunday and it's now Saturday. Most people have left and gone home. But... I think one of the things is it's really gotten people talking in this building. Like, I can't believe we've got education at the beginning of the session. Personally, I'm glad that we don't wait until the last two weeks of the session and, oh boy, here we come again. It's like doing report cards. We've got to do this education budget. And I think that it needs to be upfront and looked at with a little bit more time than the clock ticking at the end of the session. Last year's um, legislation that was proposed obviously has this session to either be acted upon or goes away. So there's plenty of work to do. But I think that this week has been something like people who've been here a long time have never seen. And that's exactly right. Um, Normally the session kind of starts out You've got the first day, the pomp and circumstance, and then there's just kind of this slow little buildup until, you know, every week and then until the end of session when everything happens all at once. Now it feels like everything is happening all at once, right. especially in regards to public education. So mm-hmm. you are former teacher of the year, retired principal, retired school teacher uh, uh, with the Dillingham City School District. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were actually employees of the Dillingham City we School District at the same time because yes. KDLG Public Radio was owned, one of the few public radio yes. stations operated by the school district. And I just want to kind of give my impression about um, 
education in rural Alaska, and you tell me whether I'm Perfect. correct there. Okay. The schools, especially in a place like Dillingham and some of the other uh, rural areas, are de facto hubs for the community. Absolutely. And there are basically everything. It's the spokes of that hub go out basically everywhere. And right now, those, those hubs of our community are kind of in crisis. I remember talking to the new uh, superintendent for the Dillingham School District mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. and they were talking about all of the challenges with new teachers and trying to recruit teachers, finding housing and all of that kind of thing. You've dealt with all of yes. that. Yes. Are the school districts in rural Alaska kind of facing a crisis situation because of inflation, flat funding, and all of these other things that, uh, that kind of make things so challenging? Absolutely. And the, the hubs, and in our part of the state, you know, Dillingham, Bethel, Nome, Kotzbue are, are, and, uh, are main hubs. And I would say it's not quite the canary in the coal mine, but when, when Dillingham is unable to find teachers and staff members for a variety of positions, we know that that's also true in in our REAA districts, the one close to us, of course, is Southwest Region Schools, and they have several sites, and they also provide housing. So I am aware that there are at least a couple of teachers who bypassed applying for Dillingham and applied and received um, positions in Southwest because they provide housing. Can I compare, when did you start in, uh, in teaching? In, in, Dill- in Dillingham? Yeah. 1982. 1982. What's the, <laughs> how does 1982 compared to, say, uh, let's go two years ago and go uh, 2021? In terms of a new person coming to town, yeah. perhaps? Well, uh, when I moved to Dillingham, I didn't know where I was going to live, so I brought pots and pans and everything I'd need if I were in a, a cabin or somebody's basement or an extra bedroom, and there were apartments available. So I had a roommate, and she was also a new teacher in Dillingham, and so we were able to, without any trouble, really find an apartment to rent. And then once you land somewhere, you can look around and see if there are some other apartments or places where you'd like to live. And there were, there were choices. And um, now the district does help. We don't provide housing. We don't provide any um, financial help with housing. But we've got feet on the ground who know who might have something to rent. So that's the help. And we've had many staff members over the years who are keeping their eyes on, like, what are your needs? And if you've got a dog, that limits. But you know, if your dog has to come, that's okay. So um, we have fewer places to rent. Some other things that are changing in our community are we have more itinerant employees of other agencies. Our regional hospital, for example. So Kanakanak Hospital um, has more itinerant doctors and nurses and um, employees, food service also, who work for a few weeks or months at a time and are not technically residents of Dillingham. So they don't look for housing that they can stay in for a few years, buy a home, for example. And some of those apartments that the hospital sort of leases or reserves then become unavailable 
to new educators coming into the community. The troopers have the same situation. TSA has the same situation. And FAA and uh, our Dillingham Police Department also has two, two police officers who live in Dillingham, and the rest are coming for two-week stints. So that's made a big difference. The other thing, I think, is that the costs of, of um, upkeep, of maintenance, and of keeping structures sound and safe, if you don't have the money, then you're not able to fix things or replace windows. And so I think some of the available rentals are not available because they've just not been able to, um, or the owners haven't been able to maintain them. So it kind of sounds like one of the, the or perhaps even the major uh, thing is housing. Absolutely. In, in a place like Dillingham. It um, is. It's been top of the list. Yes. So that kind of brings me to kind of one of the things that I've noticed in talking about uh, kind of education. And, and I've sat around this table with lots of principals and school mm-hmm. and superintendents and even students and, and teachers. And there is no one size fits all for, for all of these people. Some people, some uh, school districts need to be able to pay better. Some school districts, like mm-hmm. the one that you're talking about, needs to be able to ad- address like housing costs. Mm-hmm. Others are, are health care costs. They're just, there seems to be all of this. And that's yes. one of the reasons why my boss and others support the large BSA increase, because it empowers local school districts to make local decisions that are based on the local realities in, in the place that they are. Yes, and, and nationwide, Mike, uh, schools of education their numbers are way down all over the country. So we are competing with districts all over the country. And if they can find a, a job in an area where they're interested and can make um, a good wage and have a retirement system that they think will work at least for a while, then then they'll go there. Now, we will always have our two-year adventure people. Alaska just does. and And I would much rather have a quality, good fit teacher for two years, two solid good years for our students, than not. And so I'm, I'm fine with that. And sometimes they'll stay longer. I think we're finished with the whatever forever is. I mean, I didn't know how long I would stay in Dillingham when I moved there. But I think that we need to be able to mentor new teachers and new principals. I've also had an opportunity to um, work with early career principals as a mentor, and that gives me a, a different focus on other schools around the state and what they're dealing with um, from a leadership perspective. And actually, I was looking through some papers I had from 20 years ago, 20 plus. What was one of my issues? Recruiting and retaining teachers. That was a walk in the park compared with what we have now, both um, what we're able to offer in terms of housing and pay and um, a community that is, um, you know, ready for new teachers. We're always, that's, that's a, a very common thing is to be a new person in a community, and the question is, are you a teacher? So we're used to that turnover, but when but we need stability in leadership, and that's state leadership as well in terms of looking at what's best. And I think on a bumper sticker or some 
note cards I'm going to have. You know, how will this affect rural Alaska? So I am not a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at KDLG, I remember that I did work with some students and yes. tried to teach them. And, yes. and I found it uh, both rewarding yet kind of challenging yeah. because it was not a skill set that I had. Um, one, teaching is a very, uh, unique is not the right word, but just a, it is a skill set among itself. And it is not something that people can just pick up immediately, right? The best teachers right. I've been told take like five years to kind of get there where you uh, are confident in your skill sets and can kind of handle the day-to-day stuff. Yeah. Over time, I think in, in any position we have, we don't realize what we're never going to do again until we have the same situation show up and, well, I did something last time and it didn't work out very well, so I'm not doing that. So, um, but yes, and and we've had statewide mentoring program sponsored by the state and that has also um, declined in numbers dramatically around. Um, so we have fewer mentors for for uh, new teachers, and th- part of that is just the number of visits that they can really make on site. It it all costs money, but our technology has helped us be in touch with each other a little bit, a little bit more than a phone call. So that's how you can hold up your phone and show a classroom and say. Here's the setup. Help me organize it so that it works better for my students. And that's something that mentors or seasoned teachers can help. One of the things I wanted to ask you about yes. is kind of the rural perspective. Yes. So uh, I, I've, I've spent time out in, in Dillingham. Mm-hmm. And in this building, there are there's a lot of staff people. There's even lawmakers. There's a lot of people that lobbyists and such that have very little knowledge or perspective about rural right. Alaska. It, am I correct? In like when you're talking to people, yes. does it seem like some of them just don't really understand the challenges and perhaps even the the great things that that exist in rural Alaska and why people choose that lifestyle? Yes, and I'm glad to talk about that. Basically, in Alaska, we look at rural as inaccessible by a road. And so just that in and of itself is something to wrap your head around if you grew up around a lot of roads. Juneau probably has Juno people have a little better idea of being a distance away from other people. And yet it's a huge, huge area, big city, and it offers a lot of the amenities. For for us, it's like, for example, if I looked at this chair and I wanted to, I liked it, I wanted to take it home with me after I paid you money, I'd have to think, okay, this is probably doesn't come apart and it can't fit in a box that could be mailed because there are rules about dimensions for boxes. So then I'd have to decide, is it worth sending air freight? And I'd have to call cargo and find out how much it would cost to get from Juneau to Dillingham. And those are the kinds of calculations that everybody has to do for buying things and transportation costs. Alaska has its own transportation costs. And then you get beyond the road system and they're much, much more because of air or um, barge in the spring and summer, obviously. If you, uh, if you had your druthers, mm-hmm. if you could like kind of pick the education solution that we would mm-hmm. choose uh, over the next, uh, say, three months mm-hmm. here in the, in the Alaska State Legislature, what would that be? Would it be just a, uh, an, a significant investment into education funding that, uh, that 
gives the money to the school districts and they get to choose? Or would you would you do some of the things that the, the administration and others are looking at, which is uh, just bypassing the BSA and choosing little pockets to invest in? What's the what's the what's the way forward here from an educator's perspective? One of one of the arenas of concern is you want educators who are invested in their communities, whether they move communities in Alaska or not. I think that um, retirement system is definitely, I, I look at young people, and when you're in your 20s or 30s, you're like, retirement? Uh, when's that going to happen? I didn't know. So they, they are not thinking about retirement. And so it almost seems like we need a disclaimer. <laughs> but some people move up here, and those who are you know, financially looking at the numbers, figure out that I can le- I can move here, I can live here, do my little adventure, or get my feet on the ground. But if I anticipate being in this profession for um, years, then I have to be my own banker and figure out how to do this. And most teachers I know didn't go in because they're financial wizards. Some obviously better than others, but I think if people know that their educators know they're being supported by their state, and not just educators, back up on that, public employees in our state, because we are the training ground for police officers and troopers and teachers and people who come here, get some good skills, and then they move somewhere else. And it's expensive to be the training ground. And even when we had better retirement systems, there was, there was rotating around the state. And that's not uncommon. People would teach for a few years in the bush and then like, you know, I want to be on the road system. And they would take their years with them and their experience. But that also means that they take their Alaskan experience with them because Anchorage, for example, is the biggest village in the state. We have children from all over the world and all over Alaska and Anchorage. And I think those students benefit by having teachers who've taught in rural Alaska. I have always told people that I, that I know that if you want, if you want opportunities Mm -hmm. and you want to, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you uh, enjoy that lifestyle, the, the outdoors, the fishing, the hunting and all of that kind of thing, rural Alaska is amazing. There are immense opportunities out there. there are. Uh, and, and, and it, it's, a, the, there are places that are desperate for people with skill sets. Oh my goodness. If you can fix a Toyo stove, you'll mm. be busy, busy, busy. Mm. <laughs> but I, as a, as a mother and as a fellow educator, she's in education as well. I'm concerned. F- I'm concerned for her and for her family. She has, they have three children. One will be in kindergarten next year, one will be a fifth grader next year, and one will be a high school senior next year. So they moved. They were in Anchorage for 15 years. So they moved to Dillingham. It was a um, conscious decision, and she was able to um, get a job with the school district. And so I'm very, very proud of her. But these are bumpy times. These are bumpy times. And I feel that the network of support around her staff and around her is good, and and our elementary principal, he, he grew up in Nome. So he understands living in the bush. And I think that's really interesting that we have two fairly early career administrators who are from rural Alaska in Dillingham. I feel really fortunate about that. There are so many nuances of 
watching for, I mean, it's kind of, you have to, as you would look at a whole group of people or a classroom, you look for how, how are these people doing? You know, this is not an easy place to live. And people support each other with, you know, used to do like videos at night and stuff like that. But so people get together. Not everybody hunts and fishes as much, but, but um, the relationships that are built in rural Alaska um, are like none other. I want to ask two final things. I said that earlier. The <laughs> first thing is in, in talking to, to people uh-huh. and especially educators, they are doing amazing things. But when you go out and you listen, like perhaps the committee hearing that you were in earlier in some of these other yes. places, the, the message is that our schools are failing. Right. And that is not the case. Correct. It, it was not the case <laughs> when I was in Dillingham. I saw teachers do amazing things. I saw students do amazing, amazing things. Mm-hmm. And, and that is still the case. There is amazing things doing, going on and Absolutely. there are dedicated people and there are students that are learning and doing just fabulous, but we could always do better. And because of factors like inflation, uh, teacher uh, retention and recruitment challenges, healthcare, and we could just go housing and go on and on. There are so many challenges and they are just stacking up one on top of the other. But we cannot let, it seems to me that we cannot let that message take hold, that our schools are failing because they simply are not. That is untrue. And actually, I would say, and I'll use the the we, we feel kind of beaten up. And that never feels good to go in and, and be um, positive and enthusiastic with a group of students if you don't feel like you're supported from behind. And, and I know that the Alaska Reads Act has some, some very good um, components to it. I'm learning about it because I'm not on the ground. And I also think that we are, we are bound and required, I think, to give as much of a full rounded education, uh, educational opportunities to our students as possible, both um, during the school day and extracurricular and other kinds of training and our high schools are doing that in Bristol Bay, which is a whole different adventure for me. But, um, but yeah, I think that I don't like that F word, quite frankly. I, I find it offensive because there are so many ways that our, our children are smart and creative. And I'll tell you, if you want to get lost on a trail, you'd, you'd pick some Dillingham kids over other Dillingham kids, but I'd pick all of them over <laughs> someone else. But I think that we must, as, as a society, we need to be careful to not focus on a graph of test scores. During my testimony, I was talking about just the, the lack of staff that we've got and how many substitutes. And Dillingham also, we've employed four teachers from the Philippines. Three of them, we were ready in August for them. Due to their paperwork, they arrived about Thanksgiving. Fantastic, three teachers for our elementary school. But in the meantime, other staff members pulled together. We had subs, and um, people were overlapping, helping. I subbed for a week. We had another retired teacher sub for a month, and another woman who said, Fifth grade is crazy, Marilyn. How'd you do it for so many years? And But people have stepped up. And now we've got these three teachers. One is 
we're still expecting him to come to the middle school this month, I hope. And um, so we are definitely looking beyond Alaska and looking beyond the United States as well. And our friends in Northwest Arctic were talking this morning about how many. One of the most important things, I think, is that the test score does not represent the human being. In the United States of America, we have chosen a model where we provide an education to you whether you want to learn or not, whether you are successful or not, (laughs) that opportunity is there. And that is what we have chosen as a society. And too often, it seems like we've got people that are like, you you either learn or we're taking everything away from you. Right. And that's just unfair. Well, and and part of the reason you want an experienced workforce is, well, this strategy didn't work with this child, but, you know, I did something with a student a couple years ago. Let me try this. And that's not... In the book, that's in the gut and the heart of experience. And if if you've got everybody on the ground level, they don't know where to go for help. Now, I will say, the internet's amazing because at two in the morning and I needed some ideas, ideas, you know, a magazine or a book that I found, and these guys can Google people all over the planet and talk online, but it's still very different. And I And I think that... As hard as teachers work with their students, they're a part of the team. We're part of the team in the family and in the community. And there are many ways that we can integrate learning and um, success and help our students. Um, We've talked a lot this week about behavioral health and mental health. And our district is fortunate to have some grants. We've got many grants that... Um, they might be a little deceiving for some people saying you've got a lot of people working there, but we have like a mental health counselor and we have a psychologist and we have some other positions that are grant funded. Now, if those grants go away, those people go away and those resources for students and staff to sit down and talk with somebody who's got some training in counseling or psychology, those are, those are only boosts for our school. And so those grants have, have brought us some of those, um, books and literacy nights and some of those that there are different people than the classroom teachers who are helping with implementing those. So that, that, has, that has been good. But I think that um, te- learning to read is critical and reading books is critical. And we're finding that, you know, there's, the teachers have to be very creative and look at how they can implement some of the past practices that we've had um, that have encouraged students to to read and to apply their their knowledge but we got to do fun stuff or they're not you know well Marilyn thank you so much for coming down and talking with me I I I pulled you out of the committee meeting and wanted to come down here and and I kind of really hope that you could come back in early May and see whether we oh that would be fun. we actually got got any good things done or not but let's hope so I want to end with kind of the question that I've been asking every uh, every guest and that is okay. if you could choose one person dead or alive they get a vote and you get to drop them into the Alaska State Legislature to help us out who would that person be well that's interesting Mike because one of the first times I was in Juneau was when Steve Cooper was governor and there was a plan for an educational endowment, which I had a videotape about it that, that I would share with people. And 
I wasn't as savvy of knowing all the processes that it would have taken for that to happen, but the state was much more um, wealthy with with oil revenues, if nothing else, to have had that happen. And I'm looking at a few decades later, and I think the idea is still good, and I don't remember enough of the details to see how it would be implemented. But um, that's the first name that came to my mind, Steve Cooper. Former governor, <laughs> Former Steve governor, Cooper. yeah. Once again, Marilyn, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Please tell everybody in <laughs> Dillingham that I said hello. Thank you. You've been listening to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Geltobin. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Substack, Spotify, and the Apple Podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please leave a positive review. That will help spread the word. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there.